John opens his gospel with a revolutionary idea. No one has ever seen God, he writes, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has made him known. That's in John 1.18. Now, even though people weren't certain what the Father was like, Jesus revealed exactly who God is. He is God, and he expresses God's complete essence. Now, that doesn't sound like a huge theological jump to you or me, but put yourself in the place of a man reading John's gospel 2,000 years ago. To them, John's statement was an astounding leap. This assertion that Jesus put flesh on their theological constructs about the nature of the divinity. Some of the heroes of the faith, they encountered God throughout history in radical ways, and everyone knew those stories well. They shared their tales with their kids regularly, like Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 11, 19 had commanded them to do. But even in those stories, the great stories of the Old Testament, no one had actually seen him. Now think about it. Let me give you a couple of examples. When Moses encountered him, God appeared in a burning bush in Exodus 3, 1 and following. Elijah, he discovered that God wasn't in thunder or an earthquake or a strong wind. He was in a small, almost silent whisper in 1 Kings 19, 9 and following. But even then, he didn't see him. One of Jacob's most powerful spiritual encounters occurred during a dream as he saw the angels ascending and descending a ladder in Genesis 28. Other people, uh, like Daniel, another hero of the faith, encountered God uh, via a meeting with his angelic messengers, but not him himself in Daniel 10. And then even David, a man after God's own heart, who was Israel's most famous king, he had never actually seen God. And we can see that in 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22. So the notion that John writes about, that God would just appear and then begin walking among his people, it was far-fetched. It was impossible. And as such, it had never even crossed people's minds. So in Jesus, rather than remaining unseen or being in disguise through a mediator, as had always happened in previous encounters, God was present as a human. He was one of us. Now, here's kind of another layer to that. Jesus' disciples spent about three years with him. Even after all that time that they spent walking with him, though, even they still had a difficult time comprehending all of this, that God would just show up. As he spoke to them in the upper room the evening before he was betrayed, he explained to them that he was going away. As they discussed what that meant, Philip said to Jesus, well, just show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus' response, get, get this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then Jesus elaborated with words which proved to be one of the most revealing passages in Scripture about this entire subject. Let, let me read it to you, and then I'll continue our conversation here. This comes from John 14, 6-11, and I'm using the New King James Version right here in this quotation. So Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Then Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
Now, most often, if we ask people in the church, what is Jesus the way to? Where is Jesus taking us? They'll answer that he's the way to heaven. Jesus is taking us to heaven. But that's not what Jesus emphasizes in this passage. Yeah, it's true that Jesus takes us to heaven, but that's not what Jesus emphasizes in this passage. In fact, uh, John 14, 3, just a few verses before the passage that I just read, Jesus promises to, here's the quote, go prepare a place for us. That verse, it's read at most funerals today as an incredibly valid reminder, but that's not the emphasis of the disciples or Jesus. Now, let me remind you like this, just a footnote. This place idea is so ingrained in us, by the way, that you might have, even when I just ask you that question, after reading the passage, you might have actually said, where's Jesus taking us to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Heaven is where he's taking us. It, again, even after we just read it. Now, notice, Jesus, according to that passage, came to take us to a person the Father. No one comes to the Father except for through me, to a person, not just a place. And again, it's true that we get to go to a place, but the place only matters because of that person. Now, this is similar to what Jesus revealed to the repentant thief on the cross, by the way. Do you remember that? He said this. He said, today you will be with me, that's a person, in paradise. That's a place. That's in Luke 23, 43. Again, notice the personal aspect of this, that that connection, that relationship is the biggest issue. Jesus tells us in the passage from John, again, the one I just read, that he is taking us to the Father. That's John 14, 6. And he came to reveal the Father while he was here. That's in John 14, 9 and following. So putting all this together, again, kind of repetitive, but I want you to grasp the idea. Jesus came to reveal a person, not just a place. And according to him, he does so with the words that he says, that's John 14, 11, and the works that he does. The words and the works are both important. Now, there's a graphic that I'm going to put in the show notes here. I want you to look at it because what I'm going to do is over the next few episodes, I'm actually going to build up this graphic. And what I want to show you is what just look at look at it. I'm going to continue adding words, arrows and ideas to it throughout the next few episodes. And I want you to see the first concept here that Jesus reveals the father and that he shows us what the father looks like and how he acts. Now, here's why that matters. Our behavior, it always broadcasts our deeper beliefs. Our actions, they always reveal what we truly think inside. In other words, our actions are simply the fruit of thoughts and belief structures. If we believe, as it relates to this conversation, that God is for us, we'll feel and act differently towards him than if we think he's against us. Our beliefs about him will determine how we treat others too, even filtering the ministry or the service or the hospitality or generosity that we attempt to do. If we believe that our Heavenly Father is pro-healing, for instance, we'll minister and live differently than if we feel he stopped healing thousands of years ago, deliberately now withholding healing to teach people lessons or even cause illness as a form of punishment, which sounds odd, but many people in the church actually believe those things. Now, furthermore, our beliefs won't just affect the things we do, they will also affect the tone in which we do them. The way we approach others that we seek to serve, it will manifest differently based on what we believe about God. We'll express to them what we believe to be the essence of him. So you've heard that saying before. It's not just what you do. It's how you do it. It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. That's this. 
So, for instance, if we believe that God uses prophecy to build up and encourage others, we'll communicate differently to someone who is ensnared, trapped in sin. That's got a great example in 1 Corinthians 14.3. Again, our beliefs about God will color the entire tone of how we live out and how we connect or disconnect with others. Now, the starting point for anything, really, in life, this is what I think, this is what I'm seeing more and more over the past couple years. Really, it's understanding who God is. And by understanding his nature, we get a better grasp of who we are and our ultimate destiny because we are created. If you go back to Genesis 1, we're created in his image. And redemption is a recapturing and even a betterment of that everything flows from here. And that's why it's important to really recognize that Jesus is showing us exactly who the Father is. Now, a few moments ago, we learned that in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples that he came to reveal the Father. Now, notably, here's one thing that I want you to grasp. That wasn't the first time that they had heard this. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a lame man who sat near the pool of Bethesda. That man was waiting for an angel to stir the waters. Whoever jumped into the water was first and was always healed. Uh, trouble is, this man was lame. So for 38 years, someone always beat him into the pool for healing. This was not only just legend in that area. You would imagine that it was probably something that happened because everybody continued coming to this pool every single day. So Jesus walked by and he asked him if he wanted to be well, and then the man explained his dilemma. In turn, Jesus spoke the now famous words that we hear repeated throughout all of the New Testament. Take up your mat and walk. Trouble is, it was, as some of you know that are listening, it was the Sabbath. The Pharisees then launched an all-out assault on the action, questioning why Jesus would, first of all, heal someone on their holy day. Think about that. Then secondly, force a man to carry his mat, thereby causing him to do manual labor and transgressing commandment number four in Exodus 28, which was honor the Sabbath, no work on the Sabbath. Jesus replied this. He said that he did this because this is what the father was doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does also, or that the son does likewise. He says that in John 5, 19. He explained that, now get this, he only does what he sees the Father doing. This, according to Jesus, is why he does everything. He elaborated the Pharisees, like he did with the disciples in the upper room, that this was true of both the words he says, he says that in John 5, 36, and the works he does, John 5, 38. That is, he revealed the Father through both his message and his ministry. In other words, every time we see Jesus doing anything, we see the heart of the Father in every instance of him walking, ministering, interacting with people throughout the four Gospels. So practically speaking, what that means is this. Whenever we see Jesus doing something, we actually see the Father doing the very same thing. Why? Because Jesus only does what he supernaturally sees into heaven and sees the Father doing right then in that moment. So, let me tell you practically then what this looked like. Uh, example one, Jesus preached grace and freedom to the woman caught in adultery because that's what he saw the father doing. That's in John 8, 3 and following. Uh, another example, Jesus touched the leper rather than simply healing him with the word, even though he could heal people with words because that's what he saw the father doing in Mark 1, 41. Uh, one more example, uh, Jesus ate with tax collectors, and here's the quote that they used, sinners, because that's what he saw the Father doing. An example of that, one of many, is in Mark 2, 15. 
Now, we can apply that same logic to things that Jesus didn't do also, the implication being that he refused or he omitted doing certain things because those aren't things he saw the Father doing. Now, here, here are a few things we do not see Jesus doing because we do not or because he did not see the Father doing them. That means that we don't see the heart of God in these things. Uh, number one, give you three examples. Number one, condemn people. We never see an instance of Jesus condemning people because the Father doesn't condemn. Uh, number two, causing sickness or disease. We never see an instance of him causing someone to be ill. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus went about healing, catch this word, everyone. And that's in Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 12.15, where that's actually quoted by the New Testament authors. Um, number three, we don't see him create confusion as to God's nature through the miraculous. Jesus actually used miracles to confirm his true identity. Uh, we see that in Luke 9.2. We see that in Luke 10.9. And this point is important because often the way in which, here's what I'm going to say, because here's what I'm going to talk about in the next few weeks after I lay some groundwork, is the way that spiritual gifts or the supernatural is exercised in church, it often causes people to question as to whether it was, let me be honest, because here's how they, how they often say it, is if it was God or the devil who did it. That assessment is an indicator that the gift user may be expressing the gift apart from the heart of the Father. The only people that question the gifts in Scripture were the Pharisees, not Jesus' own followers and not unreligious people. So again, things Jesus didn't do. He didn't condemn. He didn't call sickness or disease. He didn't create confusion about God via using the miraculous. I've got a graphic that I'm going to put in the show notes where you can look at this just point by point by point. Now, the two passages that I've referred to so far, John 5 and John 14, in which Jesus affirms to us that he reveals the heart of the Father, those aren't even the only two times that we find that great truth in Scripture. When Jesus rescued the woman who was caught in adultery, just referenced that story a moment ago, he was clear with the Pharisees who had accused her that they obviously didn't know the Father because they didn't know him. He actually says, if you knew me, you would know the one who sent me. You would know my Father, John 8, 19. Now, why, why would he say that? Well, because to know one is emphatically to have a clear picture of the other. And this same concept, it threads all throughout the New Testament and is expressed in various ways. Uh, Colossians 1.15, it tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to see what God looks like, you look at Jesus and you'll see a perfect representation. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus is the perfect imprint, the exact replication of God. He perfectly reveals the Father's glory. He's essentially a cut and paste of the Father. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it confirms the same, that Jesus is the image and the likeness of God. Now, I read a book by Jack Frost a few years ago, back when I was first beginning to study this concept. And by his own admission, Jack was an extremely hard-hearted, gruff man. He was an emotional bulldozer who readily plowed over people to complete projects and to press his own agenda. And then he encountered God, the tender-hearted father version of God that we see in Scripture. Not the legalistic, more like a Pharisee than a Pharisee version that we often envision. The experience revolutionized Jack's entire life. Now, in his first book, the name of the book is Experiencing Father's Embrace. I'll drop that in the show notes. He writes this, quote, Jesus came to demonstrate who the Father is and what he is like. And he does so through his words and his actions. To gain a true picture of the father's feelings towards his children, it's best to turn to the one whose purpose it was to show us the father. 
Jesus spent three years in ministry demonstrating his father's heart of compassion as he forgave sinners, healed the sick, and raised the dead, end quote. So again, it's worth repeating. Let's just get it in our heads. If you know what one is like, you know what the other. So imprint it on your mind, really like a tattoo on your soul. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've heard the voice of Jesus or read the voice of Jesus in Scripture, you've heard or read the voice of the Father. If you know of something Jesus has done in Scripture or in real life now, you also know something amazing the Father has done. Now, I understand that this is a hurdle, a leap for a lot of people. It, even, or maybe you might even say, particularly for people who are raised in the church. A lot of us come to the scripture with this, I'll just call it an Old Testament versus New Testament, law versus grace grid. We often believe that in the Old Testament, we see what God is like, whereas the New Testament shows us what Jesus is like. When we see Jesus, though, remember, we see a picture of what the Father's like. He's not angry. Uh, he's not a trickster. He's not temperamental. He's gracious. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that God was in Christ reconciling, pulling the world to himself. So here's what I want to do. With that said, go look at the show notes and I'm going to add another picture. That's the one that I introduced a few moments ago. I noted on the first picture that Jesus reveals the Father. So I drew this arrow on the picture from Jesus, which is represented by the cross in the middle of the picture, to the Father, which is represented by this heart, because God is love, and that is his tone. So now here's what I want to do. I'm going to draw a bold arrow from you to Jesus. And, and here's why, because if you've seen Jesus, which we have, we've seen him directly, he appeared in history, uh, no one has disputed that, but no one has ever seen the Father. So on that graphic, I've got this dotted line that's going to show you we know what he's like. We know exactly what he's like, because when we look at Jesus, that that, that dotted line really kind of shows us, hey, if, if we've seen this one, we know what that's like, because Jesus reveals the Father. In fact, one of my favorite pastors to listen to just on podcasts and online and learn from in his teaching is Bill Johnson, read several of his books. He has this quotation. I don't even know where it came from. I've heard him say it several times. Uh, he's not the only one who has said it, but he's certainly the first one where I've heard it. He says this, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. That is, in order to understand God, which is what we want to do, theology, uh, theo, uh, is God plus ology is the study of theology, the study of God. In order to understand God, we look at Jesus, who is perfect theology, because he shows us what the Father is like, because he came to reveal the Father completely. In fact, remember, the fullness of God filled Jesus, according to Colossians 1.19. Now, that same night, when Jesus was in the upper room and told his disciples that he revealed the Father, he offered them another insight as to the nature of God. He says that he was, according to John 12:45, sent by Father. He says, the Father sent me. Of course, we find this concept throughout the New Testament as well, this notion that Jesus was sent. We see it in Matthew 10.40 and Luke 13.3, just more passages that you can look up later on. In fact, one of the first verses I memorized as a kid was this. It's in 1 John 4.14. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So I'm going to add that to the picture too and show you this, that the Father sends Jesus. He didn't simply 
show up on the planet. It was a deliberate act of the Godhead in order to reveal us the very nature of God. And there's more that Jesus came to do. So kind of a precursor. He didn't just come to reveal what the Father's like. That's going to lead us into the next concept that I want to study in the next talk. That Jesus not only reveals what the Father is like, he actually shows us what we're like. But until then, get it in your head. And my, my heart for you is this, is that as I close out every single time we talk in prayer, that the Lord would bless you, that he would keep you that he would be gracious to you, that he would make his face a favor to shine upon you, and that you would see that in the Christ who came, that you see a perfect representation, not of what church people have accidentally, many times, even if maliciously, showed you in error, not an image of a legalistic, trying, judgmental, grind you down, beat you down, distant deity, these are cosmic, as Josh McDowell used to say, killjoy that wants to just suck the life out of you. Rather, you see in Christ the very nature and essence of the one who is love and came desperately to reconcile you to himself and to reveal his glory and his goodness to you. Grace, peace, shalom.